0: Bowie Kala Kala
1: Kala Kala. Welcome to Women Rabbis Talk, a podcast where women rabbis talk. This week we are here with. Rabbi Emma Gottlieb and
0: Rabbi Marcy Bellows. We are excited to be back. And uh, Marcy, what are you thinking about this week? You know, I had the opportunity to meet the Lieutenant Governor of Connecticut. Her name is Susan Beisowitz. And she and I were just connecting about how awesome it is to have more and more women in positions of leadership nationally. And I've been thinking about all the women who are now running for president who have entered the race. And it's really exciting. No matter what political party they're from, I think it's amazing that women are stepping up and putting themselves in these visible leadership positions what about
1: you well it's my day off and so I'm thinking about how to not think about work on my day off and uh, how to sort of plug into the other projects that I'm have in my life and time with friends and downtime and all those very important self-care kind of things and uh, love that I'm spending some of that time here with you
0: oh and I love it too yeah it is really important, and I'm sure we'll come back to this on another episode, the importance of self-care as rabbis. Well, we are very excited to welcome our special guest this episode, Rabbi Elisa Capel. She is the Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Beth Emeth in Wilmington, Delaware, and a dear friend of both of ours. So Welcome. Thank
2: you. Good morning. Hello.
0: Hello.
1: And um, before we go any further, what would you like us to call you?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with Rabbi Coppell. Do you have any thoughts behind that? Is that a question you get a lot? Definitely a question I get a lot. I think most women do. um, Or women women with titles and women rabbis and cantors. Yeah. You know, the what should I call you? Partly because people don't know that rabbi can go for both men and women. And partly because... Well, you're a woman, I must be able to call you, not your title. So since this is a official women rabbi podcast, I figure I'll go with Rabbi Copel.
1: Excellent. And is that
2: what you go by in your synagogue setting as well? It depends. I I go between Rabbi Copel and Rabbi Elisa. It took me a really long time to get comfortable with Rabbi Elisa, but there was one summer at camp where it just, everyone else was going on a first name basis and it just felt awkward not to, and I kind of got used to it over the years. I tell high school kids that they have to use the title rabbi. Once they graduate high school, they can call me by my first name, which is really cute because most of them can't because they've spent like however many years knowing me and calling me rabbi that they have this awkward like, hi, Elisa, Rabbi Copel." And adults, adults call me either Elisa or Rabbi Elisa or Rabbi Copel, And I don't, unless they're officially speaking into a microphone, I don't have a strong preference of what they call me
0: okay well thank you so rabbi Capel, tell us more about yourself
2: sure i grew up in westfield new jersey in a home where judaism was very much a part of the fabric of our family's life we were like, all active in the synagogue our family joke when i was a senior in high school and the president of our youth group and my father was temple president and my mother was chair of the religious school committee Um, Was that the only time the three of us ever saw each other was at board meetings and we celebrated holidays We did Shabbat we I went to Jewish summer camp at Camp Harlem I was involved in in nifty the reformed Jewish youth movement Judaism was always just there for me and as I started getting older I had this thought in the back of my mind Oh, maybe becoming a rabbi would be a cool thing to do Rabbis know all these sorts of interesting things and do interesting things That'd be a cool idea and then I went to Brandeis University Go judges which is a school that has a lot of Jews at it, and I did nothing Jewish on campus. As I was graduating and figuring out what my next step was, I started getting involved again and realized that I had missed the Judaism when it wasn't there and that I wanted to, as I got more and more involved, and I ended up working for the Reform Movement as a program assistant in the youth division and lived at camp for two years, I realized that I Wanted to do Jew, do Jewish professionally. I wanted to. I perceived that I had a glass ceiling enough as a woman that I wanted to not have another glass ceiling as not a rabbi in Jewish organizational world. So I wanted to become a rabbi, and so I did. And here I am in Delaware, in Delaware's only Reform congregation. Kind of took a while to figure out what my rabbinet, what the right rabbinate was going to be for me. Um, which was not necessarily what I initially thought it was going to be. As a rabbi educator, it's my niche. I love education. I love teaching all ages. And in my position, I have enough of the pulpit rabbi stuff that I don't miss it. I get to be on the bima. I get to give sermons. And I get to focus on education, which is really what my passion is.
0: Wow. And you've put a lot of extra work and time into being a rabbi educator, correct?
2: Correct. Yes, I got my uh, master's in Jewish education last year from HUCJIR, which is also where all three of us went to rabbinical school. Um, it was an executive master's program, a two-year program with lots of online learning, but also in-person seminars and got an extra master's degree. So I have a, can have another piece of paper hanging on my wall.
0: Because <laughs> that's what we all want. <laughs> <laughs> One of the really fascinating and profound experiences uh, in addition to all attending HUCJIR, Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion, uh, is all three of us participated in the Shave for the Brave. While uh, Emma and I both shaved our heads once each uh, for St. Baldrick's to raise money to eradicate childhood cancer uh, in memory of our dear friend, Sammy Summer, uh, you have chosen to participate multiple times. And so we were wondering if you had any reflections on what were different reactions you've gotten to each shave? uh, What led you to choose to shave multiple times? How's that been for you?
2: You The first time when we all shaved together, was probably one of the most profound experiences I've had as a human being and as a rabbi getting up on stage when there was a live stream of like hundreds of people watching me have my shaved head um, as I laughed nervously and cried and I'm surprised I didn't break Emma's hand because we were. she was right next to me and we were holding hands because it was kind of nerve-wracking. It was... Um, I'm sorry if I hurt you, by the way.
1: <laughs> you, you didn't. It was fine. Okay, I, I think probably I was also equally <laughs> too, too freaked out to notice or right. squeezing back just as hard.
2: And it was amazing to be part of a group that really made a difference, both in telling the story of the Summer family and of Sammy, And in terms of awareness about childhood cancer and the need for research and raising about $1.5 million, which is a number that still is extraordinary to me, that a bunch of rabbis who didn't necessarily... Know a lot about fundraising were able to really successfully fundraise It was also a lesson in how to fundraise, which is always a good lesson. but doing it that first time was a unique experience. The second and third time I-, I chose to do it for a variety of reasons, and it was just amazing. You know some people are able to run marathons that's not a skill set I have. They can run marathons and raise money, and everyone thinks that's normal. but you know, I cut my hair instead, and that's somehow more interesting to people. (laughs) And going through life with a shaved head is really, really interesting and you get looks from people. I I think in some ways it made me hold myself more confidently. You can't be a woman with a crew cut and walk through life meekly. It just doesn't work. Um, And I think I started like holding myself more confidently.
0: That's so interesting. Were there any surprising reactions you got from others?
2: I think most of my interesting reactions came before rather than during. Once I had a shaved head, uh, I definitely had people who didn't know what I had done and wondered if I was sick or going through some rebellious phase. Before that, when I told people what I was doing, I definitely had some interesting reactions. I had colleagues and family suggest that I not do it, and friends, um, because well, what if you have to go through placement and what will people think of you? And that's a really radical change. And what are people going to say? And my response started being, well, I'm raising money for childhood cancer. I hope they think it's a good thing. And trying to remember that those responses were out of the other person's fear for me and out of love. Ultimately, I obviously chose to do it. And the second and third time, I colored my hair bright. In wacky colors before the shave, which interestingly, just last week, one of my religious school students, we were doing Ask the Rabbi during tefillah weekday Hebrew, and one of the students asked about if I was shaving my head again, and why I chose to color it wild colors beforehand. And I gave the answer then that I'll give now that part of the reason that shaving our heads made sense as a fundraiser for this is that it allowed people ask questions and us to tell them more about the cause and to tell them more. So by having blue hair, I was also able to say, extended the time period through which I could say, well, I'm raising money for childhood cancer research and this is why it's important and this is why I'm doing it. And I let the religious school students who were giving the most DACA uh, by class, that grade got to choose my hair color. I had at least one student ask if 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 rainbow was a color. The answer was no, rainbow is not a color.
0: It's like a cranial satyr plate.
2: <laughs> cranial satyr <cedar> plate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, love it. Mm.
1: We have a topic for the day, Rabbi Capel, which is what do and don't women rabbis talk about? I guess maybe first your your initial thoughts on that topic and then maybe we'll ask some specific
2: questions about it. Sure. I think women rabbis talk about the same things all people talk about. I think people would be surprised at how often women rabbis talk about sports. Yeah. You know, the at the last I'm involved in the Women's Rabbinic Network, which is the Reform Movement's, well, Women's Rabbinic Network. It's a very well-named organization. And at the last convention, one of the pre-convention programs was a baseball game. You know, we had some laughs of saying, who who, who would guess that a bunch of women rabbis, as a pre-program for their convention, were going to go watch the Orioles play the Red Sox? The Red Sox won. I was happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. But we talk about our lives and normal things like TV shows and movies and books. And we also talk about our professional lives. But I think within professions, people talk about their professional lives. So you're
1: basically saying we're not any different from anybody else.
2: Uh, That is pretty much exactly what I was saying.
0: (laughs) So have you found any myths, anything that people assume that women rabbis talk about that we don't actually talk about?
2: I can't think of anything. Can you all think of anything?
1: I can't think of anything specific, but I think maybe this is sort of to your initial point that there might be sort of this myth that all we talk about is rabbi stuff or Jewish stuff. And as you were saying, that's just not true.
0: I remember when I was first in rabbinical school and I had friends ask me, can I not curse in front of you anymore <laughs> <laughs> you know or they're all ap- people who I've been friends with for decades and they're all of a sudden they're like oh can I not tell you this joke anymore <laughs> there's definitely I think probably a myth about women
1: rabbis maybe all rabbis so I guess we could ask our male colleagues and cursing because people will often curse in front of me and then apologize to which I say I've heard those words
2: before and
1: sometimes <laughs> I use them
2: <laughs> right. I, I usually say, it's okay, I've said worse. <laughs> <laughs> and I think people, specifically women rabbis, I think people assume that we talk about being women much more than we actually do. I mean, I think we have those conversations, but we tend to have them in terms of how do I deal with this issue I'm having or you know, systemic issues of women in the world, not so much as... I'm a woman, and this is how it feels to be a woman. Um, I feel like those conversations don't actually happen all that often. at least not. at least I don't have those conversations that often. Other people might be having them. But I think that that's probably just like people think that rabbis in general talk about jewy things all the time. I think people probably assume we talk about women things all the time,
0: well, to mm-hmm. that point, do you yeah. think there's a difference between how male and female rabbis talk?
2: I think that because there are issues, to be that issues that are unique to being women rabbis and the way that people respond to us and perceive us. I think we have issues like that come up, or instances of that come up that we talk about and process with each other. I think our male colleagues don't have those instances or pieces of life to process in the same way. And men don't necessarily process things like that in the same way as women do anyway. I think women are more likely to talk about issues we're having at work with our friends. I think we probably talk about what we wear a lot more than our male colleagues, uh, not in a fashion plate kind of way but because I don't know any women clergy I'll I'll take it beyond rabbis and cantors even um, because I think our Christian colleagues have this as well I don't know any women clergy that don't have people comment on what they're wearing at least once a month and I think our our male colleagues sometimes respond with oh well someone commented on my suit once (laughs) Um, once no one and don't realize Instead of how once often a we week. get it.
1: <laughs> right. yeah. Once, yeah. yeah. Like yesterday, when I was at a relaxation and goal setting retreat, and I was talking about how I attended an Orthodox synagogue, and the woman I was speaking with said, "Did you go dressed like that?" Because I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt because I was on a retreat and not in an Orthodox shul. And I said, "No. Why would I wear this?" <laughs> yeah. 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 Any other thoughts on differences between male and
2: female rabbis and how we talk? Uh, I think, I'm not sure if this is a rabbi thing or a woman in general thing, because I haven't really been an adult non-rabbi that much of my life. I think we talk about our bodies more. By that, I mean the physical, what's going on in my body and what medical stuff am I having? I think women just talk about that more. Our bodies in terms of how we present ourselves to the world, and I, you know, I think... Will it be okay for me to, going going back to the head shaving, will it be okay for me to walk through life as a rabbi with a shaved head? I think our male colleagues who shaved did not have that experience. You know, are people commenting on our weight, and how are they commenting on our weight, whether that's whatever our weight is? Am I showing enough skin, too much skin, the right amount of skin in any given outfit? That's so interesting that you said that,
1: because um, I'm reading a book right now called Rage Becomes Her, Which Mm -hmm. I very much recommend about women and anger. And there's a whole chapter on how women's anger affects their health in different ways and how women's health affects. The way that people respond to them in many ways, and yeah, so just lining up with all the things you're saying.
2: Yeah, I will. I will add that to my reading list.
1: Yes, next time you have a headache, ask yourself if you're angry about something, because apparently that's a thing.
2: Huh. I must be angry a lot.
1: <laughs> oh no, we can talk about that some other time, maybe. <laughs> um, Rabbi Capella, are there things that you think women rabbis don't talk about?
2: Maybe their anger. <laughs> I think it depends on the women rabbis. I think there's a generational difference. I think our generation of rabbis talks about things, you know, like normal life and being nerds. I mean not all of us are nerds, but I, I am. <laughs> right. I mean, we're all friends, so we're all gonna be nerdy and geeky together. Um, I think our older an older generation of colleagues doesn't talk about regular life as much, especially not outside of rabbinic circles. I, I think our younger colleagues, I think, we're now middle-aged rabbis. Uh, How did that
0: happen?
2: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure about our younger colleagues.
1: Well, we can ask them. Um, first of all, that middle-aged comment hurt me in my kishkas.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but, it, deep, but it's true? <laughs> deep in
1: my aging
2: kishkas. Uh <laughs>
1: But I also was thinking as you were talking that you're raising a, a question that we didn't list about where women rabbis talk and do we talk about different things in different places is what we talk about contextual in terms of who we are with and where we are, which also, I mean, I imagine our male colleagues would be able to have a similar conversation, there may be lots of overlap there as
2: well. Right. And I think uh, another difference, and this may be, this may be in terms of generations of women becoming rabbis, especially in the reform movement, you know, with Sally Prezan being ordained in 72 and kind of that first decade or so of colleagues having a really unique experience. And I, have so, so much admiration for them and their ability to really go through the things people say to women rabbis in a way that we will never experience. I I think they, they still hold on to a lot of that. I think that in some ways we talk to our male colleagues about things that some of our more senior colleagues don't necessarily talk about with their male colleagues. That could just be friends because I'm friends with a lot of guys and my closest friends in rabbinical school were mostly male. But I also wonder if there's a generational difference there.
1: Mm. Or not necessarily generational, but the experience of women who are a first compared to the experience of women who are not a first because... Now that I'm somewhere where I'm a first, which I never thought I would be. Generationally, we don't expect in North America to be firsts because for the most part that was done for us. Thank you. But then I found myself here in Cape Town where I am the first woman rabbi in a full-time position. And suddenly I'm having the same experiences yeah. of the the generations that have come before us that we've been hearing talk about it. And now I'm experiencing some of it for myself. And so it's it's sort of interesting. I'm thinking about generational isms differently now that I'm Mm. like sort of out of sync with my generation. Mm. That's really interesting. Rabbi
2: Capel. what should women rabbis be talking about if they're not already talking about it? I I think we should be, I think we're doing a pretty good job at talking about the things we should talk about. You know, I think as women rabbis, we have a unique position of privilege and authority that a lot of women don't have because we have that title of rabbi. And we can, and I think do, and should, all, all, all three, use that to speak about issues that are important both in the world and to us as women, and to speak about women's issues. Being... I mentioned the Women's Rabbinic Network, WRN, earlier. Being on the board of that, I think we're, you know, I I know as a board we often talk about how we can use our women rabbi voices. You know, having done, the organization has done a lot of work on pay equity work, which I think is hugely important in the world and also in the rabbinate, that there's a pay disparity between women and men in American reform institutions for, for all positions, not just rabbis, is horrifying to me. And I think it's important that we're working on that. I think it's important that we're talking about the Me Too era and talking about how women are treated in society and talking about what real equality looks like and grappling with the harder issues of of that and of intersectionality. You know, with the Women's March recently, of uh, I had some really good and important conversations that I'm glad were held, both officially and unofficially, about You know, as Jewish women, do we stand and march in the women's marches, even though some of them have real issues with anti-Semitism and anti-Israelism or anti-Zionism? You know, how do we how do we balance that? And I think many of those conversations are happening in women rabbi circles. I think in other circles, women rabbis are bringing them up in ways that males aren't, perhaps because it affects us more. Or we just happen to be the ones who happen to talk first. I'm not sure. But I think we should continue to talk about those issues and bring to the table our unique experiences.
1: For sure. Wow. Wow. It's just kind of what we're doing right here. So thanks for hey. joining us. <laughs> because we separate. rabbis
0: talk. Oh, well, I have Um, so a regular segment we're going to have every episode is an Ask the Rabbi section. And so our question today comes via Facebook from Dawn Silverman Baines. And she asks, have you ever been passed over because you are a woman and they, I guess a congregation or organization, want a male rabbi?
2: Uh, unfortunately, yes. Uh, I have two, two stories that come to mind, although there are probably... Other more microaggression type stories that have happened over the years. One is, I was working for a pluralistic Jewish organization as a as a woman and, a, and as a rabbi, and three male colleagues were brought in to interview for my position. Uh, I, I didn't know that they were being <laughs> that it was for my position at that exact moment, but later it became clear and apparent and was you know literally replaced by a male colleague mostly because of their gender and the fact that they had kids and I didn't. The other is I was interviewing for, for a position and had been offered the position in a congregation, Reform congregation, had been offered the position and was going back and forth with them, had not given a definitive answer yet, and went back to them with a question. They said, oh, yeah, someone else accepted the job because they had it. In- <laughs> They had offered the job to two people at one time, which oh. is not <laughs> is not normal and is not good at, at wow. all. And I heard from them and from circle, circles of people who talk that there were people who, who said things in the, in the congregational meeting that were more or less, he looked more like a rabbi than I did. Yeah.
1: Mm. Wow. Not okay.
2: Not so okay at all. So
1: sorry that you had those experiences. Ugh. I have a question for both of you, actually, related to this, because I'm sort of mindful of the f- the fact that probably there are male rabbis who have had the experience of applying for positions where congregations were looking for a woman, maybe for very different reasons. But like, how do we feel about that? Is that uncomfortable? Is it different is it not different what do you guys think i I know i've
0: gotten uh funeral requests for sure you know unaffiliated families who've reached out to a local funeral home and the funeral home calls me and says well the family specifically wants a woman rabbi and i do have very mixed feelings about that i i think you run into issues of you know affirmative action concerns that people often have and you know are we just trying to level the playing field by having women fill these roles just as often or or is there something real about male rabbis now being at some kind of a disadvantage if there are certain perceptions about what women rabbis provide or um, embody in their roles?
1: And where do you think the responsibility lies? Like, If a congregation says to me, um, we're so excited that you applied, we are really hoping to hire a woman rabbi, do I then say... I'm really excited about this opportunity too, but I would love it if you would open yourselves to interviewing male candidates as well, just so that all the, like, is that on me or is that on the congregation? And then is that what we're expecting from our male, con- you know, what, like, what what are we expecting from
2: our male colleagues in the reverse
1: situation?
2: I think that it is partly our responsibility. You know, I think when, I, I, in my ideal world, I think gender wouldn't be a consideration in terms of who's going to be the best Rabbi for this congregation. And I'm cognizant of the fact that I think over the past 10 years or so, every congregation has talked about gender within the placement process, usually in positive ways. But you know, I know we were hiring a new cantor last year, and there was definite, well, I'm used to a male cantor, and is it a, you know, how will I get used to a different voice? In a prior converse- congregation, the question of, well, we're going to have an all-female bema. What will that mean? Who, who, who will the who will be the male presence? Like you know, for many years we had in the opposite of how many bemas are there with all male on the bema. But I think I think it's just as negative when ultimately when someone only wants a woman or only wants to hire women in the opposite direction. I also think that you know, as we're moving forward in general society, that the more we talk about it now. The more our colleagues and future colleagues who are transgender and who are gender fluid and don't necessarily identify as male rabbis or female rabbis, if we bring it up now, of you shouldn't be talking about gender in that way, then it will pave the path for the to be a little bit easier for them.
0: Yeah. Beautiful point. Yeah.
2: So important. Thank you. We have a
1: rapid-fire questionnaire for you that we will be giving to our guests in each episode. We've called it the Questionnaire maher uh, because in Hebrew, Meher means quickly, as you know. So, Questionnaire Meher, these are coming at you fast, and uh, you can just give us a short, off-the-top-of-your-head, head all regular hud on one leg kind of answer. And you can also just pass if you feel you feel you don't want to answer or don't have an answer (laughs) you can just say pass and we'll keep going ready I am ready excellent who was your first woman rabbi either in your home synagogue or that you were first aware of
2: I I have absolutely no idea okay
1: tell us about a woman that inspires you Jewish or otherwise
2: oh that's hard I know so many inspiring women um Muslim. I'm going to I'm you know I'm going to go with Sally Prezan because she was the first American women rabbi and the first you know, Regina Janus was ordained in the 30s in Germany but the holocaust happened um yeah. so kind of the moder- the modern era or postmodern era of reform rabbis first of all I think Rabbi Prezan is a wonderful person and really really funny and I enjoy her and is a great is a really good teacher and I am inspired by the fact that she plays this trail for us and that she was willing to fight for her way into and through rabbinical school to allow for women rabbis to be women rabbis and to be rabbis.
1: I definitely, we are hoping to have her as a guest one day on this podcast. Right. Uh, Next up, being a woman rabbi is. Awesome. What do you think would surprise people to learn about women rabbis?
2: That we are normal human beings who talk about normal human being things and sports. Favorite (laughs) Favorite
1: Jewish character from a book, movie, or TV show? That's a question taken from uh, a guest on an unorthodox podcast, which we all love. I love Ooh. unorthodox.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a tie. I, I have two. One is Willow Rosenberg from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, and the other is Natalie from Facts of Life. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Who she Really, I mean, I think she's the first female Jewish character that I really noticed as a child and kind of saw myself in. Yeah.
1: Great. A Jewish text, teaching, or value that inspires you or informs your life?
2: I I know it's almost cliched, but I love, love your neighbor as yourself. But what I love about it is that I think it's an equally hard equation on both sides. And we often talk about it as being kind to your neighbor and loving your neighbor and being good to the other people in the universe, which is not always easy. And especially when your neighbor is not a very nice person, it's really hard to love them. But I think it's also important to remember the other side of it, that we need to love ourselves and that sometimes it's much easier to forgive in someone else something that we don't forgive in ourselves. And I think it's important to give ourselves that forgiveness and that love that we offer to other people.
1: And lastly, what are you thinking about these days?
2: I'm thinking about the amazingly delicious dinner I had last night at Zahav in Philadelphia. Fantastic, Israeli-inspired restaurant.
1: That ends our questionnaire, Meher. Thanks for playing. Thank you so much.
2: Anytime.
0: Thank you, Rabbi Elisa Capel for joining us today for your time, for your insight and your wonderful thoughtfulness. We also want to thank John-Claude Haynes from C. Robin Tech for all of his technological expertise, as well as Seth Lindenman for editing our episodes. Thank you, Rabbi Emma Gottlieb. Thank you, Rabbi Marcy Bellas. And we hope that you will subscribe to our podcast, share, tell your friends about it, and let us know if you have a topic or a suggestion that you'd like us to discuss on a future episode. We would love to hear from you. You can reach us at womenrabbispodcast at gmail.com. That's womenrabbispodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> boo <inaudible>